0: Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 80, Spotwood. Today we return to Virginia. we spent the past three episodes going through what had been happening in England, or as I should now call it in the narrative, since it has been unified with Scotland, Britain. This was crucial. Before we could get into the 18th century, it was necessary to make sure that everybody was aware of how we get to the point of George I being on the throne instead of the Stuarts, the constantly changing views on religious toleration, and just what I mean when I use political terms such as Whig and Tory. This brings us to where we are now. I spent episode 76 beginning this process in Virginia itself plodding through bits of the narrative after Bacon's rebellion, and covering the capital moving to Williamsburg. I think the best place to properly plunge into the Virginian narrative is, however, a couple of years later, 1710. The reason? Alexander Spotswood. Alexander Spotswood was one of the most influential figures in 18th century Virginia, and left a huge impression on the colony, and really set the stage for the move towards the revolution. He was an able administrator, but was also rather conservative. These features would characterize his spell as governor of the colony, which would last 12 years. He was born in 1676 to an army physician In the English outpost at Tangier, which was then ruled by the English with the support of the Portuguese, but which became part of Morocco in 1684. His family was very loyal to the crown, in fact his grandfather was executed by parliament for loyalty to Charles I. Spotswood was a military man, as you might expect being born in a military outpost, At the age of 17, he joined a regiment in Flanders and would fight there for nine years during the War of the Spanish Succession, eventually becoming a lieutenant colonel. He was captured, but the Duke of Marlborough, the commander-in-chief against the French, managed to secure his release. He then decided to retire from active military service and turned to civil administration. At the age of 34, in 1710, He was made governor of the Old Dominion, Virginia. Now, there were two very different expectations of how this would develop. One was held by the Vinions and one by Spotswood himself. Despite some reforms following Bacon's rebellion, most of the Virginian legal system was based on the foundation of the colony in 1624. The governor was viewed as the representative of the monarch, And therefore had almost absolute powers there. He governed the church, he controlled the military, he could appoint councillors, he saw that laws were executed, led the judiciary, managed diplomatic relations with both the other colonies and the Indian tribes, and was a member of the governing council. He had separate sources of income, not under the control of the colonial legislature. He had the power of veto, the backing of the English government, and the immense prestige of his position in order to effectively manage the colony. This was quite an impressive array of powers, and Spotwood had every intention to use them. He was a high Tory and was brought up in the military. He believed strongly in the chain of command, of royal prerogative, and believed that Virginians should be in all of his prerogative As the representative of Queen Anne. He honestly expected that his orders should be obeyed without question. I think you can see why this might cause problems. Virginia had, by this point, existed for over a century. It had its own traditions that it was immensely proud of, such as the House of Burgesses. It was expected that the governor share his power with the council there was an oath which had to be taken by the councillors that said they had to defend all jurisdictions and authorities appertaining to his majesty and annexed to the crown. Spotwood took this literally, and so in 1717 wrote back to England that the councillors thought that they were, excusable in concurring with the House of Burgesses in diverse measures, prejudicial, to his majesty's prerogative and interest when these interfere with the ease of the people or the liberties which, by long custom, without any lawful foundation, they have been used to, but in that very same moment acknowledged that if their advice is asked as his majesty's counsel, they must then reject what they approve as members of the general assembly. End quote. He thought Quote, in Congress, that when the Council act as members of the General Assembly, they should, in that instant, lay aside the obligations of those oaths as Councilors, which alone give them title to act there. Quote. He feared the potential of quote, many ill consequences, particularly this one, that in the most essential part of the government, making of laws, they may prove rather a snare then assistance to the governor especially if he yet a stranger to the constitution of the country who may upon their advice unwarily give his assent to the enacting several matters prejudicial to the crown and the interests of great britain quote. "in 1716 he said quote, "these are the men that look upon all persons not born in the country as foreigners" and think that no other qualification is necessary for employment, nor ought to be considered in the disposal thereof, but that of being born in the country. End quote. You get the picture. That is what Spotwood said, but what should we make of it? I think the first thing to highlight is that Spotwood, who I suspect may have been exaggerating a little bit, clearly detected some sort of native sentiment. It wasn't a case that they were all British anymore. They weren't all the same. They might have the same monarch, but the Virginians viewed Spotswood as an outsider. He wasn't a Virginian or an American. This feeling had clearly grown quite a lot in the years since Bacon's Rebellion, when most people didn't want anything as close as Bacon's radical solution to the problems with English government. It was not yet at revolutionary levels, but its presence is certainly noteworthy. The other things we need to discuss should help explain just why we needed to spend the past few episodes in England. The glorious revolution had a huge impact on setting up 18th century England. Its ramifications would be felt for a long time, but, as I said at the beginning of that micro-series, the understanding of just what the Glorious Revolution meant would be very different on both sides of the Atlantic. Spotswood was a Tory. When he was appointed, the Tories were being favoured by Queen Anne, but their position was about to collapse with the ascension of George I. The Georgian monarchs might have favoured the Whigs over the Tories, But the Tory party was being torn apart by its conflicting opinions over how it fitted into the system. It was part of Parliament, but it was extremely uncomfortable with how Parliament had taken the lead role in British government from the monarch. This exact relationship had taken a long time for the British to understand, but it would now have to be played out again in the colonies. Spotswood was dedicated to the idea of royal prerogative, and it would have been viewed as necessary, considering the times, for this to take a back seat to parliamentary sovereignty. The sovereignty of Parliament was the lesson England had learned from the 17th century. To Spotswood, this meant that Parliament was sovereign. The colonies were supposed to obey him, since he was the representative of the British government. That was how it worked, But, to the Virginians, witnessing these events from across the sea, there was a very different lesson. They had their own democratic tradition. It was the job of the House of Burgesses to look after their interests, since they were their representatives. It was their version of sovereignty of Parliament. Spotswood's understanding of events strengthened his own authority, But from the perspective of the Virginians, they were Parliament, and Spotswood was in effect the monarch. He needed to work with them, not against them. Spotswood was forced to work with the Virginians, but this lesson never completely sank in, as we shall see when we get close to the American Revolution itself. Spotswood's time in government would reflect several issues which would, in general, plague the rest of the governors of Colonial Virginia. These were land grants, issues over tobacco and trade, finance, foreign relations, piracy, the church, and the military. There was a reason for why there was so much business to be dealt with. Firstly, the official governor of the colony was George Hamilton, but he was an absentee governor. Instead, lieutenant governors were sent to actually manage the colony, Edmund Jennings had been made active governor in 1706 and would serve for four years, and so he sent Robert Hunter to Virginia as first lieutenant governor in 1707, but Hunter was captured at sea and never made it to Virginia. When Spotswood arrived, no assembly meeting had been called for four years. There was a need to wait a little bit longer, as he had arrived during the unhealthy summer months, And so, the assembly finally gathered in Williamsburg on October 25th, 1710. Spotwood began his term as governor with several announcements. He intended to see the completion of the construction of the governor's house, to strengthen the colony's defenses, to improve the militia, and to prevent slave risings. He recommended banning slave meetings. He also announced that he had instructions to extend the 1679 Habeas Corpus Act to Virginia, something which had previously been contained to England and the Channel Islands. He was also to expand the general court. Previously, it had only met twice a year, in April and October. This meant it was possible for a prisoner to wait six months to go to trial. Therefore, two new courts were set up. He also spoke briefly about the decline of the tobacco trade and said that this was more to do with events in Europe. This is understandable. In October 1710, Europe was still in the middle of the War of the Spanish Succession. Funds which could be used for tobacco were more urgently needed to fight the war, not to mention the disruption that war has on trade routes. Now, as I'm sure you all know, I'm a bit of an historical gamer. If you are too, I can greatly recommend Empire Total War. It is a turn based strategy game that covers the 18th century and allows the player to lead one of the great powers through this turbulent era in theatres of war spanning Europe, America, and India. Playable factions are Great Britain, France, the United Provinces, Sweden, Spain, Prussia, Austria, Russia, Poland, Lithuania, the Ottomans, the Mughals, and the Maratha Confederacy. The game was released in March 2009, back when I was 15. I remember obsessing about it when it came out. I'd played many of the other Total War games, but the big thing about Empire for me was the importance of trade. Becoming embroiled in a war with a naval power who could just block your trade routes was horrible in the game. This was a nuisance for 15-year-old Jamie, and it was a pain for the real great powers of the 18th century. But it was devastating for those living in the colonies. The Virginian economy was tobacco. If they didn't have people to sell to, the colony would fall into financial problems. This is important, This is also a convenient point to end this week's episode. This is also a noticeable moment in my podcasting career. This is episode 80. Now, previously, my longest series has been Hannibal and the Punic Wars, which lasted for 79 whole episodes. Hannibal was four whole years in the making. Four years. That's a long time. Hannibal was such a huge part of my life, And it just seems crazy that within two years, we've already made this longer than Hannibal. It's the longest project I've ever worked on. I mean, I'm currently on the process in trying to form the earlier episodes into a book, roughly, uh, from episode 1 through to episode 60, and that stands at 124,000 words. So this is now my greatest project so far, and I'm really excited to continue on our road to the revolution. If you've enjoyed the series, remember you can find out more online. Just go to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com. I'm on social media, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast and at History jamie on Twitter. If you want to send me an email, the address is thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you in two weeks when we get into the governorship of Spotswood.